On the one hand, we are wired to seek pleasure. It's one of the things that drives some of our most basic instincts. On the other hand, some of us have developed a sort of mistrust of pleasure. Like, if it feels good, then it must be bad for us. I don't know, maybe it's some leftover Puritan streak. Sometimes the idea that we shouldn't have something makes it that much more desirable. I mean, sometimes the the fact that we can't have something is the only thing that makes it desirable. Forbidden fruit and all that. Look, no one ever said human behavior was simple. But today, we're going to see if we can resolve some of this tension between doing what's good for us and doing what feels good. All right. All right, everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagel, and in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Before I jump into this juicy conversation about pleasure and self-care, I just want to remind you that our 30-day nutrition upgrade is starting this week on November 8th. This is a chance to get into a good groove with healthy eating habits that will be flexible enough to roll with through the holidays. I like to think of this as making a New Year's pre-solution instead of that New Year's resolution. So if you want to join us, there is still time to sign up. Just go to changeacademypodcast.com slash upgrade. This episode is really an extension or a continuation of a conversation that Brock Armstrong and I had back in episode number 80. In that episode, we were talking about how self-care had somehow become about spending money as illustrated by the fact that we now have a huge self-care industry that exists in order to sell us self-care products and experiences, as if self-care is something that only the affluent get to enjoy. And in that episode, we also talked about the difference between hedonic self-care and eudaimonic self-care. Hedonic self-care involves activities that we find pleasurable, a massage, or a nap, or time spent with dear friends. And eudaimonic self-care includes those things that we do not necessarily because they are pleasurable in the moment, but because they support our goals and objectives. Things like getting our teeth cleaned, or doing meal prep ahead of a busy week, or spending time and money on a therapist, or hiring a health coach. So hedonic self-care is often about spending resources on our current selves. Eudaimonic self-care is about investing resources in our future selves. But I realized that one could easily get the impression that eudaimonic self-care is better than or more virtuous than hedonic self-care. But this is not the case, and I don't want you to forsake hedonic self-care as being lesser than. Psychologist Seth Fontaine-Panic writes, studies show that people flourish most if they pursue both hedonic and eudaimonic motives at the same time. Rather than promote one form of fulfillment over the other, the key is to find a balance between both modes of behavior. So my question for you is, 
how balanced are these two modes of self-care in your life? Because I've really, I've seen both extremes. I've seen people prioritizing things that make them feel good. You know, the you only live once mentality and not investing any resources in those things that while perhaps challenging or uncomfortable might actually bring greater growth or meaning to their lives. And I've certainly known people whose idea of living a virtuous and meaningful life means denying themselves things that simply bring them pleasure, as if pleasure for pleasure's sake is somehow unworthy or suspect. And that also strikes me as an imbalanced way to live. These two modes of self-care are not mutually exclusive. And as Pinnock suggests, we really want to nurture both of these modes in order to live a fulfilling and a happy life. Working on change, personal development, self-improvement, the themes that we explore in this podcast could certainly be considered eudaimonic self-care, although I hope it's not completely without pleasure. But in my own life, those sorts of projects have often been driven by the idea that my life will be more satisfying once I achieve these things. But will it? These things may be worth doing. I believe that they are worth doing. And so it's not necessarily that the goals need to be adjusted, unless they do. Really, it's this mistaken belief that achieving them will make my life more satisfying. Because the only opportunity I have to live a satisfying life is actually the moment I'm in right now. And the same is true for you. This moment is where satisfaction is to be found. Despite the unfinished projects or the as-yet-unrealized goals, I recently read a book by Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals in which he makes the observation, and this is not exactly new, that our time on this planet is finite. And I initially took that to mean that I needed to make the best possible use of my finite time. And that's not exactly wrong. But as I read further, I realized that my error was in how I was defining making the best possible use. It's really easy to see that as an invitation to do more, or to do more important things, or to have more peak experiences. But as Berkman points out, none of those things guarantee a more satisfying or fulfilling life. And in fact, there's a way in which they might work against our satisfaction and sense of fulfillment. Because the more we stuff in, the more we want to stuff in, the more we try to stuff in. And then we're just constantly chasing more and better, and that is not the path to satisfaction and fulfillment. The path to those things is, once again, right here in this moment, when we're having non-peak experiences but actually inhabiting those non-peak moments instead of comparing them unfavorably to the peak experiences that we're not having or that we will have as soon as we get through the drudgery of whatever is occupying our current non-peak moments. I'm not anti-peak experience, but I am considering the possibility that Berkman suggests which is that the only way to truly enjoy those peak experiences is to learn to enjoy 
or at least to actually show up for the more mundane hours and minutes of our lives. Developing that capacity may make whatever peak experiences we manage to arrange for ourselves even more real and vivid, but the absence of those peak experiences won't render our lives meaningless or unfulfilled because we actually were there for it. I mean, really, the percentage of all possible peak experiences you could experience in your lifetime is vanishingly small, right? I mean, for the sake of argument, let's say that even if you spent the rest of your life doing nothing but cramming peak experiences in, one after the other, you could only ever experience maybe 0.001% of all the possible peak experiences. So really, what's the difference in a life that samples 0.001% of possible experiences and one that includes 0.0001%. I'm enjoying, for the moment anyway, a, a refreshing break from my usual utterly futile ambition to live an extraordinary life. I'm realizing that looking back with no regrets does not require living an extraordinary life, but simply occupying and valuing the very ordinary moments that make up the life that is unfolding right now. Which brings me back to hedonic self-care. I bet you thought I'd lost the thread there, but I haven't. (laughs) So back to hedonic self-care, which is by definition pleasurable in this moment. Now, there are certainly ways to pursue pleasure in ways that undermine our well-being. And those pursuits They may be hedonic, but they would not qualify as true self-care. But hedonic experiences also don't have to be super costly or time-consuming. One underrated way to practice hedonic self-care is simply to practice being more present to the small pleasures that every day can actually yield if we can just pay a bit more attention. So for example, right now, and only for another week or so, Every annoying little errand that I have to run is also an opportunity to be blown away by the color of the autumn leaves. And instead of spending my morning shower mentally going over my to-do list for the day, I can actually tune into the sensory pleasure of a hot shower. It is such a treat. A half an hour stuck in traffic, that can be an opportunity to sing along at the top of my lungs to a favorite album. So where in your life Could you be a little more hedonic without actually spending any extra time or money? And this sort of loops back to the conversation we were having a couple of episodes back on recalibrating your reward system. But as we wrap up, I also want to bring us back to this idea of balance between hedonic and eudaimonic self-care. Can you identify some examples of each in your daily and your weekly routines? some ways in which you pursue pleasure, relaxation, and enjoyment, and also some ways in which you invest time, energy, or other resources in things that you find deeply meaningful and important. And I'm just curious, do you have things in your life that actually check both of those boxes that are deeply pleasurable and enjoyable and are also bringing you closer to your goals and objectives? Because if so, you have won the self-care lottery, and I actually want to hear more about what you're doing. So shoot me an email or leave me a voicemail. 
But I want to leave you with just a couple of takeaways. Number one, try to maintain a balance between those things you do because they make you feel good in the moment and those things that you do because they contribute to your long-term well-being, because both of these are important to a fulfilling and satisfying life. Number two, cramming in a lot of peak experiences does not guarantee that you'll look back on your life and feel that it was well-lived. This is one of the ways that hedonic self-care can misfire. Number three, one way to waste time is to spend it doing things that don't really matter to you. But another way to waste time is to spend it living for an imaginary future. And that is one of the ways that eudaimonic self-care can sometimes go awry. And finally, whether hedonic or eudaimonic, if it comes at the expense of your mental, physical, or financial well-being, it doesn't qualify as true self-care. And just one last reminder that our 30-Day Nutrition Upgrade Program starts November 8th. I'm really looking forward to spending the next few weeks working with some of you. And if you'd like to join us, the sign-up is at changeacademypodcast.com slash upgrade. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy Podcast with Monica Reinagel. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.